0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. We've got one question here, which is exciting. <laughs> so uh, this is a question to you, Mary. How do you keep your joy and grace after so many years in ministry?
1: Uh, The same way I described this morning, um, I don't. (laughs) But Christ is in me and I'm in Christ. And so he sustains us and he keeps giving us joy. And I keep sinning and he keeps forgiving me. And I am in a church family a bit like... Adam is described, and there are people who are encouraging, and the Word keeps feeding you, Um, and serving and ministry is such a privilege, and so God just uses stuff to um, keep fueling the fire and feeding joy, and it's not me, I know that by myself I'd go backwards and go dry uh, very, very fast, but the Lord is good. And I think the longer you live with them, the Lord, the, the more you see how good he is.
0: Yeah. Um, in light of that then, how, like a lot of us, we may not be in full-time ministry, but we might be very involved in a particular ministry. And you spoke of how um, sometimes we can actually idolize our ministry. How do we find that balance between um, serving well, working hard, and actually it becoming an idol?
1: Yeah, such a good question. And such a... Such a Challenging question because uh, I think what happens over time is our loves morph. Um, just been thinking about this a bit of late. We we start off loving Jesus and loving the Bible, um, loving the gospel. Hopefully, hopefully that's what kickstarts us into Christian life, and then that leads us into serving. And before we know it, what we most love is the ministry we're serving in. And then maybe the ministry goes well, and what we start to love is ministry success. And then it's successful because of this, this, and this, and what we start to love is our ministry strategy. Uh, and, and at that point, potentially, potentially you feel... Motivation, enthusiasm, excitement about the ministry, and you've left behind, potentially you've left behind, the thing that started it all, which was love for Jesus. Now, that's. I think that's a really scary transition, and it's, it's as you move down that track, you can be moving to a kind of idolatry, where our love, our passion, our source of satisfaction is in the ministry rather than in the Lord. Um, what do you do about that? You... You search your heart and you try to be honest with yourself uh, about what's going on and you just keep going back to Jesus. You have to go back to the basics again and again and again. And the gospel and the word and fellowship with the Lord, delighting in him, reminding yourself of who he is and what he's done for you. You've just got to go back as often as you can to the foundations of your faith and keep thinking freshly about Jesus and the gospel. And let that be the fuel for ministry rather than ministry itself.
0: Um, in the staff team, we uh, have spe- uh, there's a specific, there's two words. There's an F word and an S word that we try to avoid. One is uh, functionalism, and the other one is silo. Yes. <laughs> Do you have anything to add to that, Adam? Not really. No? Okay, oh. great. <laughs> cool. Um, so the next question then, and I guess that's kind of bouncing off what you were saying, Murray. Um, how would you define beauty from the scriptures?
1: Deary me, that's such a good question. Um, it's actually quite a philosophical question, and I won't try to go into the uh, all the philosophical thought about what beauty is. But if we leverage off the idea that we've opened up from scripture that beauty is... Ultimately, see, see, we often say, don't we, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, which makes beauty entirely subjective. If you find it beautiful, it's beautiful for you. No, um, there is an objective beauty, and it is God himself. Uh, and so we make, ultimately, holiness, that which is pure and lovely and good, objectively, spiritually and morally, that's beautiful. Now, there are physical reflections of that. Um, and often, uh, physically, it's, it's just a whole range of things. Design and color and symmetry and uh, pattern and so on. There's all sorts of physical reflections of that. And maybe there is something subjective there in, in what we are drawn to or not drawn to. But ultimately, we've got to get back to beauty being something objective, rooted in God Himself. And uh, when we think about moral and spiritual beauty, we're going to say beautiful things reflect the very character of God Himself.
0: Um, so, yeah, this is open to you both. Um, so, let's say if a you know relatively new to the Bible um, understand is meant to be beautiful, but there are some hearts that are really hard to tackle. Um, how should I approach this thick book <laughs> to be able to appreciate that
1: beauty? like uh, It is a big book, isn't it? Like The Bible's huge, which is um, wonderful because you you literally can spend a lifetime in it and you will never feel that you've mastered it. And I think that's great. That's why like, I've been... Doing Bible stuff for 30, 40 years, and I still so often just feel like a babe in the woods. There's still so much that I don't get or understand. So think of it as a lifelong journey. You don't have to master it today, mm. uh, you're going to spend a lifetime mastering it. Um, in, in a sense, you can, you can almost start anywhere, but some bits are harder mm. than others. Uh,
0: How would you recommend where you start? Oh.
1: Yep, um, I think starting in a gospel, one pick one of the gospels and really uh, read it. I quite like big picture reading, not not the detail immediately, but you know, read through a gospel a few times and say, "Who is Jesus? What is the picture I'm getting of Jesus?" Um, Mark is kind of the raciest, fastest gospel. If you like it quick and punchy and fast-paced, go for Mark. Um, Matthew is shaped around five big discourses. The whole gospel is shaped around five teaching sessions that Jesus has, and there's a bunch of action in between the teaching sessions. But if you like um, sermons, read Matthew. Uh, John operates less with a biography of Jesus and more with themes of um, the work, the person and the work of Christ. But, you know, you can start in any gospel. They're, they're brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And look there just at who Jesus is. What is the picture of Jesus? What's he like? Yeah. What does he do? How does he act? How does he handle himself? Um, and then I think if you have a good grip on a gospel, a another great place to go is then to Romans. And Romans is meat, um, but you can... Uh, you, you can dip into Romans at different levels. And with a bit of help, a study guide, a friend, mentor, um, if you start to get your head around the three main sections of the Book of Romans, which is basically sin, salvation, service, guilt, grace, gratitude. Uh, You've on that? No, nah, never. <laughs> 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 you will get a, mm. a wonderful take on what the gospel really is, and why it's so good. Um, I'd, I think I'd start those two places, and then you can trek into all sorts of other terrain in Scripture.
2: And never forget that if you don't find the Scriptures beautiful, uh, it is not because they are not. Uh, but often it takes time to cultivate an appetite and an appreciation for what is actually beautiful. Sometimes we all don't have the eyes to see what true beauty is, but actually it's as you engage with it and familiarize yourself with it more that you begin to see just how beautiful God really is. So you also don't want to end up in a situation where you're like, I don't do the Torah, like Leviticus is just not me. But actually knowing that there is beauty there, though it may not be harder to see and discern initially, the fact that I know it is beautiful, but my eyes are blind, Gives me confidence to know that when I see it in its beauty, I will worship God for it. I will not be left disappointed.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's encouraging to see as well that people like what Mary was saying—they're investigating the scriptures their whole lives, mm. and that beauty becomes more and more apparent as we do over time. Yeah, great. Um, so, uh, with one, Marie, one of the um main features of your sharing is that God is the main character. Um, and not us. In light of that, how do we communicate with our non-Christian friends, especially when people in this society are very individualistic? Um, and it's like, how do we appeal to them that it's not about them? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty big question, isn't it? Yeah, um, to well. I guess, you know, it depends on the relationship and the conversation you're having as to where your entrance point is going to be and where a person is at. Um, but I think it's. Yeah, I, I think there are two, two sides in in a relationship with an unbeliever that we may be able to explore. One is simply talking about our experience and being just being honest and saying, "Look, um, I have personally found that when I don't look for answers in me, but I look for them in God, it's just amazing the answers I've started to find." And I think we can actually just just say, you know. We're in this culture where what's true for you is true for you. So we're allowed to say what's true for us. <laughs> and we should. And we should talk about Jesus and about the gospel and about God and about the Bible and about the difference it's made. Um, so that we are giving a personal testimony to the fact that there's there are some answers floating around that are different from the culture's ones. And then I think we can perhaps also interact with a person and where they're at, and gently, lovingly, depending on where they're at and what's going on in their life, um, suggests that some of our culture's answers aren't great answers. And that the culture's push for us to believe in ourselves and be true to ourselves and look inside ourselves is actually often quite cruel and not very secure and not very loving and, may, you know, our culture sells itself as being very loving and tolerant and accepting, but it's, it's not um, that accepting. It's got a very narrow band. And so I think we can just both share what we have found and push in, appropriately and lovingly, push into some of the blind spots of our culture yeah. and hopefully open up the possibility that people might explore another way of thinking about their life
2: help them see that being the main character of their own story, which is what the world tells them they ought to be, is one of the most burdensome and crushing things. We were not created to be the main character of our story. And because we weren't created or designed to be that way, when we try and operate out of how we were built, we're trying to actually live a life that only the Lord Jesus can live. And and so, yes, it's true to tell someone you're not the main character of the story can sound demeaning, but actually it can be very liberating. It can be very freeing to help them say, actually, here is someone who can bear the burden that I cannot bear, and yet he involves me, yet he includes me, and yet he loves me enough to not give me what I cannot bear. He does what for me, what I cannot do for myself. Yeah.
0: Great. So um, in light of the talk just earlier, mm. Adam, um, being the household of God, Um <clears throat> How do you feel we're currently tracking as, ah, <laughs> as a church?
2: I, I have I've had various experiences that push in both directions. So, um, <clears throat> someone in um, someone early on said to me uh, in the or virtually in the same month, someone said to me, "I feel closer to." Uh, a brother said to me, "I feel closer to the women I work with than women at church." Probably not good. Uh, I had someone say to me. Oh, wow, you guys have a really good culture of, you know, brothers and sisters interacting with each other and loving each other. So I'm like, who knows? Uh, um, I think from my chair, what I'm often doing is I'm kind of looking at a dashboard with a number of dials on it and kind of just constantly looking at how we're going on a number of these things. I've been really um, thankful on the married single men and women thing. I think broadly speaking, we've been doing okay. Broadly speaking, I think there are. Um, Headwinds to watch, as always. Uh, and I think um, we're doing okay. I praise God for that. I'm careful about... Obviously, simply because we've got kids coming, I think it's good for us to talk about that. Um, but but the men and women one is never going to go away as a cultural issue and is so important to our witness to the world and our love for one another. It's an inescapable reality. So, I look, broadly speaking, I'm very thankful. I, I really want to push... I want to say okay. Let's let's take the four things, old and young. Oh, I probably say we could do better. Let's push harder. Yeah, let's make an effort on that one, in every direction. Uh, was it men and women next? Men and women. Um, okay, pretty good. Uh, so, but but I think what I was trying to do was to give a framework, a biblical theological framework to what you a lot of you guys probably intuitively do. I think. So, I think we've been working at that um, in an unarticulated way by encouraging and nudging and pushing and you know gently correcting and stuff like that. But this is the first time I've actually said it. And so, I kind of wanted to say it. And now, if you're sitting there going, sounds about right what we're trying to do. Cool? I was like, oh, gosh, that's awful. Then, that's okay. well, we can talk about that. that. We've got the next year. That's okay. Um, managed and single, I think we do pretty well. I think we do pretty well. And so, I want to say, you guys are doing great. Uh and parents and kids, too early to tell, other than the fact that every single uh, parent at our church has been fantastic, like really, really good. So I've been really thankful for that, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, otherwise, uh, what advice would you guys give for people who are experiencing loneliness in church, as well as advice for the rest of us in terms of how we can love people who are experiencing loneliness in church?
2: You're the pastor. Oh, <laughs> well, you've passed it at church, Murray. Uh, I'd say a few things. I'd say loneliness is a very real and deep emotion to feel, and it's awful. It's awful. Um, so the first thing I want to say is thanks for asking the question. Like it's it's hard to even say that. Um, And I I wish you would. I genuinely wish you would. I think the most important thing that I try and remind myself is that though I may not, it's like the beauty thing, though I may not feel it or see it, something is true gives me confidence to know that if I pursue what is true, I will enjoy what is true. And to remember that I will not satisfy my loneliness by trying to get as many people at church around me First. My loneliness will only ever be met if I see that in Christ, by his spirit in me, that there is never a moment of my life that I'm ever truly alone. Ever. And if I know that, if I remind, so if my impulse is to pick up the phone, text someone, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying just hold it. Loneliness is something you find right throughout the scriptures. And where do you turn in Turn first to God, the Father, through his Son, by his Spirit. That is where you will find the comfort and the company for your soul. And yet at the same time in 1 John 4, how do we experience that love of the Father? Through our love for one another. Now, I, if I can gently say, I, I don't want to diminish how, I don't know that person's particular situation, so I don't want to diminish and I, I don't want to say that it's not, genuine or not as deep as it feels but gosh the world is even worse out there (laughs) like it's a lonely place i was at um one of those dinner things that you go with your you know when you have like end of year or chinese year dinners and you have dinner with like that other family and you meet their their kid that you'll never talk to ever again and you just got to tolerate that dinner anyway so my brother and i were there and we were just kind of low-key complaining about the number of weddings we had to go to and the person got quite agitated And they were like, why do you go to so many weddings? And I'm like, oh, well, it's just kind of what you do. And I'm not saying that you can't be lonely in church. I'm saying people feel lonely in church all the time. But I do remind myself that God has saved me out of something far worse as well. It's an awful lonely place out there. Um, And I think the last thing I'd say is go against every fiber of your being and go share it with someone. You see, the the, the terrible thing about loneliness is it's self-fulfilling. You feel lonely because you're alone, because you feel like no one would ever talk to you, so you don't talk to anyone, and then you're alone. Uh, (laughs) And and you end up in this kind of vicious cycle that you get. And yes, I know, you're sitting there hoping that someone will call you, hoping that someone will knock on the door, hoping that someone will message you. Maybe they want to, but they just don't know. Maybe it's not that they don't love you. They just don't know how you're feeling. And the only way that they'll know how to love you is if in humility, you put up your hand and say, all I have is what I have in Christ. And yet as a human being, I need you as a brother or sister right now. And you'd be surprised how willing
1: people here are to come alongside you. Yeah, those are great comments very very helpful i think loneliness is far more common than we might expect Mm. and we can often assume everyone else has got friends (laughs) except me Um, i know a lot of pastors who are lonely they their lives are surrounded with people and busyness and activity and they are lonely in the midst of it Mm. all Um, you can't assume that because someone has a lot of people around them is doing a lot of stuff that they're not lonely and then there's also stages of life Um, and loneliness can hit people at different stages as things change in our lives, as peer groups change and we relocate or um, children come into our life and for a time you do perhaps pull back from some other stuff because you're just Mm. busy or then children leave home Mm. and all of a sudden uh, all your social dynamics have changed again uh, so yeah the world has a lot of loneliness and I think there is loneliness in the church sadly it's a reality of life Um, I like very much what you've said uh, Adam first I mean take your loneliness to God first of all and t- we're, you know one of my theme tunes is just being brutally honest with God and absolutely real with the Lord because he knows it anyway Mm. And talk to him about your loneliness and ask him to bless you with real friends. Mm. Um, ask him that if in his kindness he would give you um, one or two special friends, um, would he please open that up? And he mm. he knows what you need and when you need it. And he may not give that to you straight away, but you can ask God for friends. Mm. And then I have no idea what a BLT is, but I think it um, <laughs> sounds like it's rather important. Uh, so whatever it is, like... Um, I've wanted to change the name from the beginning. I love it. It makes me hungry every time I hear it.
2: It's inter-staff conflict, (laughs) inter-staff team conflict at this point. Does anyone, who wants to change the name of BLT (laughs) to something more generic? I didn't mean to trigger this. No, I I want to. It's ridiculous. Uh, Who wants to keep it?
1: Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, yeah, there you go.
2: I'll take it. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs)
1: But,
2: you know, if you build a
1: relationship in a small group of people, there, there can be raw moments sometimes when you've, feel safe enough and secure enough with a bunch of people you've been with for a while, say, look, I, I'm actually going through a bit of a phase in life where I'm, I'm feeling a bit alone and a bit lonely. And I just wonder if you'd pray for me, that God will give me friends and give me a place of belonging. And I think if you're raw with God and raw with people and honest with yourself and um, are realistic about the reality of loneliness... Um, then God and his kindness will lead you to friendships yeah. and people and um, relationships that really make a difference.
2: And because it's, this is an important question, just two more things. Firstly, if you don't go to God first and you run first to other people, our instinct is we will put on other people only what God can truly bear. So we will run from person to person and we will lash out at them when they cannot actually deliver actually on satisfying our loneliness. We'll be so bitterly disappointed because we need to actually find that in God first and then see, and then we actually have right expectations of one another. So the only second thing is, um, let me go to bat for my married friends at this point, please don't assume that all your married friends are not lonely just because they're married. It can be, oh, like, just because someone has a lot of friends, as Murray said, or just because someone's married or is, doesn't mean that they're not struggling with loneliness. So don't make the presumptions that we often make.
1: Yeah. Can I be really bold? Jump in with another another thing before your next question. <laughs> um, you, I, I just love what you've said, Adam. I think um, I think as a church, I, I'd like to say value this talk that you guys have just had and clarity about what you're aiming at and what matters like that, that is just such a blessing. I think these categories are so useful. Um, I'd kind of like to add another category yeah another yeah. pairing uh, just because I think it's such an issue in many churches um, the well and the unwell. It's a category <laughs> it's a pairing we don't so easily talk about or even think about if we're well. Um, but one of the most, and it, and I go there because of the loneliness question, mm-hmm. one of the most isolating things in church life can be if you are not a physically well person mm-hmm. in a church full of highly motivated, go-for-it people where the measure of spirituality is serving. Now, I, I come at that... Um, now, I've got to go on Breeze <laughs> I have several children, two in particular, but more than two, who have chronic fatigue. And it has, you know, it's just completely changed their lives and uh, deprived them of many, many opportunities. And for one of them in particular, church is one of the hardest places to be because church often gives the impression that you've got to be doing this and doing that and serving here. And uh, church is often for the motivated, um, for the committed. And the subtext of that can be church is for the well, not the unwell. And yet the beauty of the gospel is it's for everyone, and it's, it's for the sick and the lonely and the broken and the hurting and the unwell. So as you navigate all these you know different dynamics, um, I'd encourage you to be a church that can also think about how, how will we love those who are really struggling and they might struggle for years and years and years. How will we um, minister to the physically unwell, to the mentally unwell, uh, because there's, there's a lot of that. Mm. And how will we help those people not feel lonely, but loved, even if they can perhaps barely get to church half the time. It's another complicated dynamic, but it's a beautiful part of being the body of Christ if we can navigate that.
0: Yeah, really, really good points. Um, If, let's say, we want to care for someone who is going through loneliness or a hard time, but they are in a very different life stage, different age, different status, all of those things, what can that practically look like? Because sometimes it feels very hard. It might feel very awkward. It might feel like we are overstepping boundaries that they don't want. Like, what, How do we practically love someone who is at a different stage to us?
2: So I was distracted by two people who texted me. I yes. just zoned out. So, <laughs> uh, I, if Mara could take that, I'll just <laughs> attend to the... Trying to jump the line? No, I'm joking. Oh, okay. I will have a look at that. I? Oh. Um
1: Don't know how this maps into your context and dynamics. Uh, my wife and I just find hospitality is a magnificent part of gospel ministry. And uh, Wendy, my wife, my wife is deeply committed to us showing lots of hospitality to people. Um, I get tired of people. I do people all the time. And uh, she wants to have more people in, which is such a blessing. And so usually I don't feel like it beforehand and then I'm so glad we have them over afterwards. Uh, And the the thing with hospitality is just uh, using your home to have in a bunch of people, not just your friends, but, but church people and people you want to show love to and care for. And sometimes... Quite often these days, now that we don't have a whole lot of kids at home, we, we will invite in two or three different people or couples or families. And it gives another um, intergenerational context. And we end up around a dinner table chatting with young people, middle-aged people, older people. And it's just lovely. There's something again. It's it's family. It's home. It's around food. Read the Gospels. It's amazing how often food is um is there. Jesus does a lot of stuff around meals. There's something about eating together, sharing our homes together, being hospitable. There's just a lovely way to build relationship. And then out of that, um, yeah, stuff just stuff happens. Conversations emerge. Um, relationships can be strengthened. There's a little opportunity to speak into someone's. Situation. Uh, we had a young couple over recently, and we've had them over a few times. And I just just thought, yeah, we we'll just have them over. They're nice. Um, and then Wendy said to me afterwards that this uh, this this young couple uh, had said to her when I was off doing something else, um, "This is such a highlight for us. We just." Love coming here, and I kind of—I had no idea about that. And yet, clearly, just by opening our home, it's—it's it's blessing them and encouraging them. So I just suggest popping hospitality on your radar of the ways in which you can bless and encourage other people. And if you're having a bunch of people, you can easily ask different generations, different genders, um, mix it up, and it feels quite comfortable.
2: Mm, yeah. Um. I have a whole talk on this, which I'm not going to give. Uh, other than to say, read the New Testament and look at the one another's of it. And commit yourself to doing those things for one another. That is, a church is about fellowship. Fellowship is not just about food. Uh, uh, we, uh, fellowship is about the deep things that we share in Christ. We, are, we have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We have fellowship with one another. Notice, fellowship doesn't necessarily equate to Friendship. And I think one of the mistakes that we make is someone says, I'm feeling lonely, and then we think, oh gosh, I've got to be their friend. Uh, and sometimes you go, I just don't have the human capacity for that. Because do you realize fellowship is a spiritual reality that all of us have with one another? That's a, that, that's unlimited in that sense. Friendship is a human reality. It's, it's, it's limited by our human finitude. I can't have more than about a handful of friends and Contrary to most people's social media accounts, neither can you. Uh, you know, we, we we just, we cap out. We can't have that many friends, right? What does that mean? It means that um, churches are there to cultivate the fellowship thing, the broader one, as who we are as the people of God, all the one another of the New Testament. We cannot mandate, you must be someone's friend. It's not, you know, you must be friends with all people. That, there's no, be friends with one another. Um, now, don't hear me dumping on friendship. I think friendship is great, but I think, Actually, when you do fellowship well, that becomes a seedbed from which genuine gospel friendships arise. But you can't force it, as it were. So seek to pursue the one another of the New Testament with the broader church family and be open to what the Lord might have for uh, that. Um, And if you're doing that, then that will look like a lot of the things that Mary's been talking about and showing hospitality and welcoming one another. Mm.
0: So, a bit of a scenario question. I have
2: a friend. I have a friend. I have a friend. (laughs) And it's not to (laughs) Um, me.
0: So, um, scenario question. If I, let's say, I'm a uni student looking for a BLT, if I would like to get a small group to join. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, So, (laughs) if, for example, there's, like, two BLTs out there um, that are potentially suitable um one with a lot of other uni students and one with more younger workers and that's just how it's played out to be um you know i and i personally find it easier to relate to people who are maybe also in uni because they're going Mm. through the same stuff same life struggles things like that um what is, is, it, is it better for me to join a particular BLT over another? Is it wrong for me to want to be with people who are more similar? So it's not wrong to want
2: to be with people who are more similar. Mm. That's the thing. I mean, look, if you look around church, most of the time, like attracts like in where you sit. I'm not going to, that's perfectly fine, right? I was at the FIC national conference and I was sitting with the uh, young Korean pastors there. And that was just kind of, just hang out, we catch up, we're good mates. Someone came over and said, "A bit monocultural," and they sat down. I'm like, "Look at every other table here." (laughs) Anyway, it's it's okay to just kind of have friends with people who are like, "That's okay, that's fine." I think this is where I'd say, on a small group level, there's actually real benefit in difference. Um, one of the things that one of the accidental things that we stumbled across as a church is we never started a uni ministry, probably because there were just a lot of uni students and they were not that different from the young workers. But actually, it was it was a stroke of accidental genius. Because what ended up happening was a lot of our uni students ended up being in small groups with young workers and people in their late twenties. Who at that time we weren't that mature anyway, uh, still probably aren't. But um, but just a few steps ahead, and that actually some I actually think uni uni groups are good. But I've actually seen groups out of all uni groups go bad as well, um, because actually when you're a uni when okay let me see when I was a uni student um. My judgment wasn't very well adjusted, as it were, on a lot of things. And being surrounded by a group of other people whose judgment could have been better adjusted was not overly fruitful for my spiritual life. Uh, and so all of our, all, I like to think all of our groups are good. Um, BLTs are for everyone, so that's okay. Uh, but uh, I think there's something good in being in a group where we have got different people. Um, but if it really doesn't work out, That's okay, come and talk to us, and we can reallocate you. Uh, It's
0: okay. It's okay. Um, Are there any other questions on your phone?
2: Yes, there are. Uh Aha. Oops, sorry. That's okay. (laughs) Question and answer. Will there be a dedicated group at church who have the responsibility of identifying helpful and appropriate gender-specific activities, or will it be a grassroots effort to identify and suggest ideas for gender-specific events? That's a great question. I don't know. We're going to figure that out. I think one of the things is Young uh, and Rain have been really good as deaconesses. For Women just helping church councils think about things has been really helpful for us. To be honest, even having Holly there in our staff team has been so good for us. Having uh, an ear to the ground, just understanding the things that are going on are important uh, to us. So I think uh, if you want an org charty sort of thing, if you want an org charty sort of thing, then it kind of sits with staff team, but there would be mechanisms either through staff team or ministry teams network where we could figure that out. But we, this is a great question, good thing to consider. Uh, question for Murray. Well, really, it's not really, but I just don't want to answer it. Um, so, uh, question for Murray. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, what does someone need to be a Christian? Uh, if you believe in all the facts about Jesus and being saved, but don't feel like you love God, what should be your
1: next step? We're not saved by feelings. Thankfully, we're saved by the reality that Jesus died for sinners. Part of being a sinner is we don't feel what we should. Uh, We don't feel anywhere near the love for God that we ought to. And Jesus died for that sin as well. And so, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess that with your mouth, it says, you will be saved. And we start there. We start with the work of Jesus. And if you believe in that, um, you trust that he is the son of God, that he died for you, and that he's dealt with your sin, and you're now right with God, not because of you, but because of him, then you are saved. And you start to grow in a rich, complicated relationship with God. And one of the first things you might want to do then is pray, Lord, please Move my heart. Give me a heart that loves you, doesn't only believe in you, but delights in you and rejoices in you. And God does work on our hearts. He does change our hearts. Um, and so, you know, do we do, we do uh, church things, Bible things, spiritual things, even if we don't feel like it? Uh, or is that hypocrisy? I'd say, no, we do them, and we confess to God that we don't feel it as much as we want it. And so, Lord, please not only help me to keep doing this stuff, but to love it and rejoice in it and delight in it. And I think as we, as we do what the Lord calls us to do, and we prayerfully... Uh, seek that he would move our hearts we will find him we we grow in love for the lord but feelings go up and down and your love for the lord will probably go up and down your feelings will go up and down and the lord is rock solid and steady through all of that and we keep going back to him to renew our hearts
0: awesome all right well um it is nearly time for lunch so going off on the importance on that note of the importance of prayer let us quickly pray together um, yeah, heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you that, and we thank you so much that we were not saved for ourselves, um, we we're saved for you, and also we were saved for one another, um, Lord. So as we, uh, yeah, strive to love you more and love one another more, Lord, we pray that you may help us, for Lord, we know that you are love, um, and you displayed that through your son on the cross. Uh, So, Lord, we pray that you will help us. May your spirit guide us through your word, um, teach us daily, help our hearts to sing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.